This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truthiest life. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today's guest is the wonderful Tara Kemp. You may have heard her on Outway, where we had her talking all about food freedom and her program, Recollect Collective. I'm sure we'll get into some of your eating disorder story, how you help people in this episode. But for anyone that doesn't follow, go ahead and check her out. I'll put her info on in the show notes below. She is a bright light that you just want to have on your feed at all times. So thank you so much for being here, Tara. Mm, thank you for those kind words. It is an honor to be here and I'm super excited for our conversation today. Me too. So you have a lot of credentials. Tell us a little bit about your academic background. Sure. So, you know, I got my start um, working in nutrition and well, nutrition, education and lifestyle medicine. So I'm not an RD in the same way that you are. But for anyone who's in the plant based world, I've worked for the Physicians Committee for Forks Over Knives, Engine 2 Diet. Um, and most recently, I was the director of nutrition education at Mastering Diabetes. So I started in that world. But from there, having my own history of disordered eating and being really interested in the, you know, psychology aspect of things and the, you know, social emotional space of, of eating and how that all relates. And through my work, working with people who were trying to adopt this healthy diet, but finding that there was so much shame and guilt and self-worth and, you know, all of this wrapped up in it and realizing that it was really this inner work that needed to be the foundation of all of it. That kind of led me to go back to school to get my PhD. So um, I'm almost done with that program and I'm basically, you know, in the dissertation space right now. So I'm doing that work. I'm also the lead researcher on um, a study looking at 
nutrition and the role of food in addiction recovery, so substance abuse. Um, so all of that has kind of come together to put me where I am today. And, you know, I also, as you know, do coaching. Um, so I'm a mental health coach and Reconnect Academy is my signature group coaching program. And then I do some private stuff on the side. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. Awesome. Well, we love what you do. And I love what you said that you were really drawn to nutrition because of your background with food and finding a healthy relationship to it. Mm -hmm. But even though you were knee deep in the science and research of it, you really saw that this healing is going to require inner work. That's mm -hmm. going to take more than seeing a registered dietitian to make sure that you're eating enough calories, that your weight restored. It's going to take shining some light on the dark places. I know that you know a little bit about this because of Evan's work. The, the world of lifestyle medicine, the world of nutrition that I was in specifically was looking at, okay, how do we take this space of chronic disease that, you know, so many people are living with and see how the medical model is failing them, where the medical model is saying, let's do symptom management. Let's look at the symptoms. How can we manage these? Whereas lifestyle medicine is saying, hey, how can we get to the root cause to create a lifestyle that's going to support you long-term to be healthy in a sustainable way? But we were doing that on the physical level with, you know, like type two diabetes and heart disease and, you know, hypertension, all these things. And I was noticing we're doing that, but we're not looking at it from this aspect, like you said, of the relationship with food. And so in turn, you can create these other problems or you can just, you know, perpetuate these standing problems. And we need to do the same thing with our relationship to food. It's not just symptom management. It's not, okay, we need to find the right meal plan for you, or we need to find, you know, it's like, no, we need to get to the core. We need to get to the root and figure out the lifestyle, the relationship to these things, the inner work that's going to create this long-term sustainable space of healthiness with it. And so it's just funny that, you know, we were doing that, but not in all the ways. So I was like, okay, I need to do it in this way. <laughs> Right. The way that they weren't touching was the human aspect. Sure, you can find data to support that this diet is going to improve diabetes symptoms or hypertension symptoms. All that stuff is very easy to quantify. Mm -hmm. But, you know, were we looking at the person underneath? And I think in the diet world, this is where so many things get lost in translation. It's not saying that this diet won't improve your health outcome, but it's saying, A, will it pr improve your health outcomes sustainably over time, hmm. will, will the trend that you see in the first month or the first year continue beyond that? And B, will you be able to sustain this plan in general? And it's only if you consider your own, like what I call inner wisdom, are you able to really be honest with yourself in kind of doing so? So right. the nutrition, the science, all of it's great, but it actually led you back to getting your PhD, which is no easy feat here. <laughs> I mean, that's a, how many, how many years have you been in school for that? Yeah. So I've been in school four years so far and I'm expecting to finish in another year and a half. So it's a lot. <laughs> Did I see that you took a break or no? Did I misunderstand a post? Yes, I took a break this past semester. So I'm counting that time technically. But yes, this past semester, I took a break, which we can get into as we're talking about, you know, polyvagal and the nervous system, because my nervous system needed a break. <laughs> okay, so we'll hold on that for just a moment. But I was shocked when I saw that that you did that. And mm -hmm. 
loved it at the same time, like shocked in a good way, surprised. Most people wouldn't slow down their very long program. You know, it's just not the the norm. So we'll hold on that for just a second. Let's talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about your relationship to food and how it shifted over the years. That could be a very long story and I tend to be long-winded, but I'll try and give the briefest overview um, and then we can get into details any place that you want to. So for me, it really started around the age of 14, as is the case a lot of the time. It wasn't really about body image for me. For me, food became a way to control and feel safe. And at first I didn't even realize it was happening. The restriction just kind of happened under the radar for me and the rest of my family. And it wasn't until I had lost a lot of weight that we realized. And it was really confusing at the time for me. I felt like I had to take these, you know, it's like that obsessive compulsive, like I need to do these behaviors. And at the same time, I didn't quite know why. And I knew that, you know, logically I was like, this isn't who I am. This isn't what I want to do, but it was just happening. Um, For me, that happened in the wake of um, kind of an identity crisis. Um, I, my anxiety that I'd had as a child kind of hit a spike of an all-time high. And as a result of that, I ended up quitting gymnastics, which had been my identity up to that point. So a lot of people hear the gymnastics piece and think it's, you know, oh, it's it's a body image thing. And it, it wasn't. It was that gymnastics was my life and my identity and my world. And I became too anxious to perform skills that I had the physical ability to do. I ended up quitting but I lost my social group. I lost my community. I lost all of my best friends. Not that they were like, you aren't on the team, so we hate you. But it was like, I wasn't part of that world anymore. And that was my evenings. That was my weekends. That was what my entire life revolved around. And that was a huge piece of my identity. So anyways, it was in the wake of that. And I was feeling a lot of shame and confusion around like having to quit. And so that was where it started for me. Once I realized it was a big roller coaster of figuring out how to eat, you know, quote, normally and healthfully on the other side of that, my family didn't really know what to do. I didn't know what to do. It became this like hush hush thing that it at my house was a big deal and outside of it, no one knew about, or if they did, they didn't talk about it to me. And so I never got professional help. It was a long process of me having ups and downs, feeling like I was better and I was doing well. And it was different iterations as well. There was some orthorexia in there. I had a fear of fat for a while. So it was this thing that kind of, I'd say for a span of about four or five years was this on again, off again in different iterations experience. By the time I was in college, I was, I was really at a much better place with it. Would I say that I was like in, I, I was nowhere near where I am now today, but I was in a much better place and I was very good at being self-aware and kind of being protective of myself to make sure that I wasn't falling back into any unhealthy behaviors that I'd had before. And at that point in my life, I found veganism. And for me, that was majority very healing for my relationship with food. It made me feel really excited about food and have this connection to food that felt really positive and exciting and meaningful in a way that food before had kind of just been this like, it had become this thing that sure, I still liked the taste of food or whatever, but it was this thing that was kind of always almost burdensome. It was like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm eating enough and I have to make sure that 
you know, I'm, I'm eating a variety of things and I have to make sure that I'm not restricting this food group or that type of thing. And it had become this thing that felt like kind of like when you're a little kid and you're playing hot lava and you're like jumping from like one cushion to the next. I was just kind of always playing hot lava, like avoiding all the negative things that food could be or do. So adopting this vegan lifestyle for me and learning about, you know, how it can be beneficial to the environment and, you know, how it's, you know, reducing suffering of animals and how it's really healthy for the human body and like all these things made me excited. So for me, it was really healing and being in the lifestyle medicine world that I was, it did have some triggering pieces that brought up this like you know, fear had brought in some new fear foods for me. So I had to work through that, but ultimately it ended up being this really positive thing. And I will add that years down the road, um, I've been vegan for 10 years now, um, but years into this, I'd say maybe about three years into me being vegan, the anxiety and the OCD and like all of the things that were kind of at the root, like my natural tendencies as a human that were, underlying a lot of the original um, eating disorder. Even though I wasn't struggling with food anymore, when shit hit, hit the fan in life, those all came flooding back really, really badly. It's kind of like, I feel like for a while, food was the thing I was using to cope. And so my anxiety wasn't so bad and the OCD wasn't so bad. And once I was like in a good place with food, those things were then really bad, at least when I was needing a lot of coping. Um, and didn't have the, the skills or tools or methods that I have now. I didn't have the self-understanding that I have now. And so that was when I realized, oh, this is a character trait that I have, that I have these tendencies. And this is something that I never actually ever addressed fully. I found some things that worked for me along the way, but I was never actually intentionally doing the deeper level healing. And going through that process is where it all changed for me. And on the other side of that, even though my work during that time, you know, I started, you know, learning and going to, you know, working with a therapist and understanding myself and doing all of this deeper inner work that I'd never done before. But through doing that on the other side, my relationship with food was more free and positive than ever. And I realized that connection of all of these different pieces of myself that I thought were these separate things and that I honestly had never really truly admitted to myself or allowed myself to see, I finally was seeing them and holding space for them and understanding this full picture of myself and how it all works together. And basically since then, Foon has been like just only this wonderful positive thing in my life. And that just continues to grow, I'd say year by year, better and better. But that's where a lot of that understanding came for me. And that's why when I started to see in other people that I was working with all of these struggles with food, as I was, you know, in this role through these different corporations or businesses of helping them to adjust their diet, I was like, oh, there are things, you know, this is where I'm seeing these lack of connection within this space. We're working just on, you know, the behaviors and not the underlying beliefs or, you know, all these different pieces. So that's why I decided to go back to school and get my PhD and understand more of this process. And that brings us to today. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career 
And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So for me, you know, I had a brief stint with veganism in college. And looking back, I did have those moments when it was... Like you said, like I didn't have to think so much about food. Am I eating enough? Am I getting enough this and that? And what's the healthiest choice? However, like it quickly became a new way for me to control food. Mm -hmm. And I always preface this conversation with just because that's how I did it doesn't mean that everybody who chooses a vegan lifestyle is disordered. I think there are a lot of people that get caught where I was, but there's also a lot of people that find healing and freedom from it. And I think it goes deeper into like, I wasn't vegan for the animals. I wasn't Mm -hmm. vegan for the environment. I wasn't vegan and also doing self-compassion work and learning how to be kinder for myself. You know, vegan for me meant, oh, here's an identity. One Mm -hmm. you can easily throw around under the guise of health. This was not conscious stuff at the time. And you don't have to think about what you're eating so much because the options are so much less. Although again, Mm -hmm. that's not where I was at. But I do like everybody listening to kind of preface this to know that veganism needs to align with every facet of your being for it to be the truly right choice for you. And totally. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you you brought that up. And as you know, that's the topic of my dissertation research. So I'm actually looking at this uh, relationship and there's not a lot of research on it right now. But absolutely what we do know thus far is that the relationship to it, the intention behind it is everything. And so for some people, it can be an iteration of the eating disorder. It can be, you know, I am vegan because of the eating disorder and those can be linked. And then there can be the separate I'm vegan and I have an eating disorder or I'm vegan. It's not an eating disorder, of course, but in the interlay of those two things, both exist and it's important. It's really, it's one of those cases where it's just so, so, so important to really explore that for yourself. Because if veganism is, you know, an extension of a disordered relationship with food and with yourself, then you're keeping yourself stuck. You're not going to be able to progress to where you want to be if that is a barrier for you. And it's really easy to lie to yourself, especially if it's that murky gray space of like, yes, and. Like, yes, it feels really good to support the environment And it feels good 
to have less options or like, you know, it, and so that's, that's the space where you have to pull it apart and maybe you need to, you know, leave it to the side for a while and just focus on healing your relationship with food. And then later, once you're in that space that feels really positive and good, decide if you want to bring it back. It's a murky gray space. And, um, you know, I share story, my story to share my experience, but that's my experience, not the rule. Totally. And I love how you said, ultimately, it worked for you. I always think of the body, the human experience is ever changing. Do you ever see yourself getting to a point where if this diet isn't working for you, you'd bring in things that would support you? Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's funny. I've even mentioned that to my partner before. Is he vegan? He mostly is. (laughs) Anyways, we've had that discussion because he's He's said to me before, like, you're so, because I am, I'm entrenched in this world of veganism a lot in my life. You know, a lot of my friends are because I worked for these organizations um, for so long. I was just very in that world. So a lot of my life has been steeped in it. And at the same time, I, that's not a rule for myself. And it's not even something that I feel like is it is part of my identity, but also isn't like, I wouldn't feel like I was a different person if I decided that this wasn't working for me anymore and needed to add something back in to support myself, all of the core values that I have would still be there. It would still be this issue of, okay, like how can I do this in a way that feels the most aligned with my values and is still supporting. So it would still be me and I would have all the same values. I would just be figuring out a new way to make them align with my life that supported my, my well being in the best way. So anyways, interesting topic, but yeah, I, you know, there in the vegan world, there's a lot of, you know, all sorts of things around people who do, you know, go back to eating meat after being vegan. There was a while there with like the YouTube scene where a lot of people were coming out about, and it, to me, I always just had so much compassion for those people because I can only imagine, you know, having these core values and feeling so good about the way that I eat in this lifestyle, how hard that can be to realize that it's not working for you. Like that's a huge step to decide to bring something back. And especially if, you know, you're on YouTube promoting it in this big way, we're kind of getting on a tangent here, but basically, you know, I see it as the core values that led me to feel really good about being vegan and that lead me to choose it. I don't think necessarily would be moot or like non-existent if I were to realize that it wasn't working for me um, from a health standpoint or a lifestyle standpoint or whatever and decide to adjust the way what I was doing. Yeah, it's it's tangential, but I think it's a good conversation to have because so many people have ideas about the right way to do something. And I think like what I was kind of hoping to do there was really untangle the web of everything that's kind of below the surface when people hear the word veganism. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, you don't eat A, B, C, D, and E. There is a lifestyle, a compassionate kind, you know, this, this whole value system that's underneath it that people like you retain beautifully. You know, you're filled with light and love and compassion for other people, even if they, you know, abandon veganism. But I think really seeing the underpinnings of people that I belong to vegan communities is really important to understand, like, the love that is within. And I, I don't know if everybody really is aware of that and the social connectedness that can exist, whether you're 
part of that community or you step out and I don't know, there's so many ways to do something. So I think it's right. It's super interesting, especially, you know, because I've been so vocal about not that veganism didn't work for me. My disordered eating didn't work right. for me. You know, it was it was just veganism that I latched onto at the time, but it had nothing to do with veganism other than that was kind of the lowest hanging fruit around me. And I love plant based food like I right. still do to this day. The way that you eat is deeply personal. And there are so many ways to to eat in alignment with your values and your priorities in life and the things that, you know, make you feel good and whole. And there's no right or wrong way to do any particular way of eating. And you don't need to label it or you can if you want. And (laughs) there's just so much nuance to all of it. You and I are both people who are not about like, okay, this is the meal planner. This is the protocol or this is the way. And it's like, you know, it's, it's deeply personal and deeply variable and complex and you can create whatever relationship to it that you want. It all comes down to, is this, you know, the most healthy alignment for me based on my life, my values, my priorities, and my wellness. So in Reconnect Academy and Reconnect Collective, your retreats, would you say that the reconnecting has less to do with the food and more to do with reconnecting to who you are so that your choices around food reflect those things. Absolutely. It is at the core level, you know, where you're connecting with yourself, you're connecting with, with yourself at every level. Yes. At the level of, you know, knowing who you are, but not just knowing like, Oh, these are my values and priorities and character traits, but also knowing yourself at the physical level, knowing how you respond to your environment, knowing the things that make your body feel good or not good, being in touch and in tune with yourself as a whole and finding what are the ways that I can incorporate food to support myself in being wholly well, being the best version of myself. So using food is kind of like a supporter to everything else that is true to you. And so a lot of people are not looking at themselves as a whole when making food related decisions, in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. And when we're talking about whole, we're talking about those layers underneath, right? Like all those questions and things you were afraid to face when you were going through your stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the things that to me really only a foundation of radical self-compassion can allow you to look at because if you're afraid to find something because you will judge yourself if it is true or you will shame spiral or you feel like if this thing is true, I will never be loved or, you know, whatever it is that, that you have these, you know, limiting beliefs and these relationships to these things that are kind of subconsciously uh, happening below the surface. You'll never allow yourself to have that space of honesty. Whereas if you are a safe space for yourself to look at all the things within you and to see what comes up, then finding those things is not scary. It's not always comfortable. It sucks to be like, oh man, here I was like caught up in this pattern again, or like, oh man, like I really, I wasn't being the best caretaker to myself there. Or I, I was being super defensive or like, you know, treated this friend, not in a way that I'm proud of or whatever it is that comes up for you. You can look at that thing with honesty, have compassion for it, and then make changes without it becoming this thing that means you're this bad, terrible person that you then shame spiral or self-harm or whatever it is. You are somebody similar to me that recognizes that connecting to yourself is not a one-time task, right? Mm. Oh, it's a forever task. (laughs) Daily, right? Oh, absolutely. 
So for all of our listeners, what's one thing that you do to connect daily to that place within you that easily gets kind of lost if we don't pause? Mm -hmm. So there are two things that I do daily that are kind of the the foundation for me. Um, And these are classics, but they are classics for a reason. The first is that I meditate every morning Mm -hmm. and you know, when I say every morning, like, yes, I can have a little flexibility and, you know, maybe sometimes it's the afternoon or maybe sometimes it doesn't happen, but 99% of the time I meditate every morning. It's something that I have learned over time. Just I'm a better person to myself and to the world when I take that time for myself. And it's also the act of doing that, of spending for me, it's 30 minutes, spending 30 minutes with myself, doing nothing but being present with myself is for me in the same way that for other people, you know, maybe taking the time to go for a walk or to go to a therapy appointment or whatever it is, is telling yourself, I am worth this. I am worthy of this self-care. I am someone who prioritizes myself and my well-being. And so anyways, that's, that's one piece is the 30 minutes of meditation in the morning. And then in the evening I journal and writing it out, the process of it being handwritten and slow and like seeing it and reading back through it, just the processing that that allows helps me to understand where I am. It's almost like I'm like telling myself, I'm like listening to a client telling me and I'm able to see them from a distance rather than being so in it. And so I think both of those practices help me to be a witness to my feelings and thoughts and emotions and where I'm at, you know, what the physical sensations are, like all of those things, I can pay attention to them more deeply and clearly when I'm in, you know, using both of those practices. And the more that I do both of those things over time, the more that I naturally am more in tune and in touch with myself throughout the day. Yeah. I mean, so many people are walking around, not to say that you're, that you don't have your moments, but you know, I know that I I try and practice what I preach and practice what you preach, but so many people have none of these tools and they're just projecting all these subconscious discomfort Um, onto other people. They're angry, they're frustrated, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And having the tools to first, you know, soften, be with yourself, create the calm, 30 minutes, beautiful. And then I love that at the end of the day, you break that down even further and really get through everything that, you know, came up throughout the day. So you're like constantly taking out the trash, essentially, Mm -hmm. and finding gems, I'm sure, along the way. You know, it's not just taking out the trash. I find when I do this inner work, like I'm finding things that I forgot that I had that I want to wear again, you know, it's a metaphor, but you you get my point here. So that's awesome. Become a part of the fast growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit because you reached out to me recently and I was so excited because, well, to back up a little bit. On social media, I saw that you were starting to talk about something called the polyvagal theory. And I mm-hmm. think I responded back to your story being like, oh my gosh, love that you're talking about this. I'm interested. And we kind of left it at that. And then you reached out and you're like, let's talk about polyvagal. And truth be told, it's been a year since I really brushed up on the polyvagal theory, but I reinvested some time to kind of get reacquainted with it. And it really is such an important theory of psychology that I think can help so many people, especially people that have experienced trauma, trauma Mm -hmm. being a broad spectrum of things. So you don't need to um, necessarily, you know, be a victim of of rape or abuse in order to have experienced trauma. So this is a complex topic. So I'm kind of going to look to you for everything, but Let's talk polyvagal. What is it? Yeah. So I started learning about polyvagal theory um, at the beginning of this year. And it's one of those things that when you understand the nervous system and when you understand, you know, a lot of the work that we do, it doesn't necessarily feel like entirely new information, but it feels like it brings it all together in this way that it's like, oh, here's another way to make sense of all of this that brings it together and and kind of fills in some gaps. And it just made so much sense to me. And I wasn't learning it in the context of relationship with food. You know, I was learning it just, you know, as a standalone concept, but to me, everything that I was learning was so aligned with the way that you and I view relationship with food. And I love that concept too. So to, you know, give a very brief um, explanation of it, polyvagal theory is, an understanding of how your nervous system is affected by the world around you. And, you know, in school, at least in my schooling, we learned about the nervous system in this, you know, fight or flight mode. And it was kind of like, you know, one or the other, you're either rest and digest, or you're in that fight or flight, you know, your sympathetic nervous system. And polyvagal theory helps you to understand the way that through, you know, your inborn traits, plus the way that you experience things in childhood creates the way that your nervous system now as an adult responds to the world around you. And, you know, they, they talk a lot about attachment theory and social connection, all these pieces in order to be socially connected, in order to be engaged in the world around you, feeling safe, your nervous system needs to be in a state of safety. And so much of us aren't because, based on what we experienced as a child, which we might totally not have any realization is happening. A lot of this is super subconscious, but 
we're kind of always in this state of arousal. And there are two different ways that that happens. So to explain this, so like I was saying, in school, we kind of learned, you know, you're either in rest and digest or you're in fight or flight. And it's not that simple. The sympathetic nervous system is what we typically think of as fight or flight, but the parasympathetic system, which is the, you know, the restful system actually has two different branches. And on one branch, which is the ventral vagal, that's when we're feeling free and we can connect and we feel safe and we feel engaged with the world around us. And we're just, you know, experiencing joy freely with that sense of like full relaxation and calmness and safety to let it all in and feel it all fully. That's when you're in ventral. But then your parasympathetic system can also have this kind of state of of calmness or not being so high strung in the way that you are in sympathetic, but that actually goes in the opposite direction and they call that dorsal vagal. And that's what they call the freeze. So it's fight, flight, or freeze. And so when you're in freeze mode, it's like things slow down. So that's when you notice that you're feeling depressed or, um, you know, kind of like isolated from the world and you feel just like sluggish or foggy and like you can't move. And so, so many people, and this can, can relate a little bit to what I was saying earlier that I noticed in my life happening. So many people are living in the sympathetic. And so they kind of loop. It's like, they're mostly in sympathetic. They might try to dip up into the ventral vagal and like, you know, be in touch with the road around them or engaging in these relationships or you know, doing all these things. And it's not that you don't experience joy, but it's that your body at like a physical, physiological level in your nervous system. You're, you don't feel safe to stay there. And so you loop back and you're actually spending so much time in that fight or flight mode without realizing it. And I'm sure that many people have heard that when they're talking about stress and it's like, oh, you live in the state of chronic stress, which we never knew about. You know, we always had acute stress, um, you know, when we were evolving biologically, um, but we live in this world where it's, it's become chronic. But a lot of things that we might think are normal, we don't realize that our body is in that constant state of stress. And so this is kind of happening beneath the surface. And when you're in that sympathetic for a really long time, your body can just be like, okay, I guess that this threat or this stressor is just here. And so fighting it, perpetually being in this fight mode, fight mode, fight mode is not a good use of my energy. I need to just preserve my energy. And so you'll dip into dorsal. And so that's where suddenly you feel, you know, all of these, like we talked about those symptoms of feeling just like shut down and recluse from the world and disconnected from everything and fuzzy and foggy and depressed. So for me, that's what started to happen at the end of last year. So 2021 for me has been about understanding my nervous system and, you know, a big piece of this for me that goes to me hand in hand with polyvagal is understanding my sensitivities. I'm a highly sensitive person. I didn't realize the extent to which that was affecting my life. I didn't realize that literally my nervous system is sensitive to the world. And it just creates so much more self-understanding and also really helps to validate so much of my experience in the world and helps me to understand that while I can, while I have the ability to juggle all of the things, that's not supportive to my ultimate well-being and um, is not me taking care of myself. And so this year has been about slowing down and rebalancing and understanding my nervous system, understanding the things that trigger me. There are certain things that I know, oh, I'm feeling stressed about this thing. And there are other things that 
I had no idea were so stressful to me. And it's amazing to see the differences as you learn these things. For instance, having had an eating disorder in the past, my digestion has gotten a lot better. It was really bad for years while I was in the eating disorder. And that's pretty common. And since coming out of that, it's something that's gotten a lot better, but still wasn't where it, you know, quote should be given the way, you know, everyone talks about, Oh, if you eat, you know, all this fiber and you like do all these things, whatever, like you should have great digestion. It was always like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to live with the fact that I don't because, you know, I had disordered eating and that I guess affected me for life. And since doing this work for the past five months, six months, my digestive system is amazing. And it's like, I know that that's tied to when we're in stress mode, we're not going to rest and digest. There are certain things like that. There are like, I could list, you know, other things, but it's been amazing to watch my body come into this new way of being and no, I'm not perfect. But I think that this understanding is just so core to realize that it's happening at this physiological level that our body is responding to our environment, whether our brain realizes it or not. Yeah, I think that, you know, for for everybody listening, just to kind of break that down back to the basics here, in school, in commonly talked in the media, we talk about the nervous system as being either two states, the sympathetic or the parasympathetic. Sympathetic being fight or flight, your cortisol, your stress response, parasympathetic being when you're calm, when you're deep breathing, when you um, are can rest and digest, literally, as, as Tara was saying, when she was able to be in rest and digest more, she is actually digesting food differently, which I think is an important statement because, again, it's not just a about eating more fiber or more plants, if your nervous system is not supporting your total well-being, you've got a problem and we don't often trace it back here. But polyvagal for for me where like it opened my eyes and it's interesting where like your eyes were kind of opened in a chronic long-standing mm-hmm. way was really recognizing that third state, that dorsal vagal, which we don't really cover when we're talking about parasympathetic and sympathetic. We talk about rest and digest. We talk about fight and flight, having a reaction. So a fight, either like, you know, you're screaming at somebody, a reaction to something, or you're running away, which I'm very good at, at, at doing, you know, the flight portion I always could understand. But dorsal vagal is when your body, so the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is always working up regulating and down regulating to support you. But how it supports you might not be how you like it to support Mm -hmm. you. So it might be doing things that don't feel so good. So for me, when I learned about dorsal vagal and learning that it's kind of this trauma response, it's you do not feel safe. Whether there is extreme danger around you or not does not matter. Your body has interpreted that as extreme danger. And as a result, you kind of go numb, you dissociate, like all of a sudden you are like zoomed out from the world. That's how I experience it. For me, it hasn't been so much of like this prolonged state of being in dorsal vagal, but rather finding myself, oh, this is why when I'm in an argument with somebody or when somebody raises their voice or when I hear loud noises, things that are really effective to my sensitive nervous system, like I have one naturally, but I also have lots of reasons that Mm -hmm. that it is super sensitive. I can't form words like I can't, it's almost like I'm paralyzed in my own body. And I never understood that because I was only thinking of parasympathetic and sympathetic, fight or flight, rest and digest. Here, when there's something that goes, I'm just going to clap into the mic. 
to your system, whether it's dangerous or not, my body perceives it as dangerous. Then I'm shifted into this, this other place where I am stuck. So either way, we're both stuck, right? right? It doesn't feel good to be there. But this theory and really opened my eyes up to the fact of how I can bring mindfulness to this. Like when you better mm-hmm. can visualize what's happening to your body, when you understand it, then you're kind of like in that moment, oh my God, I'm in dorsal vagal right now. I might be still stuck. Words aren't coming out of my mouth, but oh my gosh, you don't feel safe. Okay. Are you safe? You know, then you can kind of begin to climb up what Deb Dana, one of the research, the lead mm-hmm. uh, researchers with polyvagal, you know, calls right. the polyvagal ladder. Right. So climbing I can up the ladder. climbing my way up to safety if it is truly, you know, safe. And that doesn't mean that I go right back into parasympathetic. I'm so calm. But for me, I see it as a way to bring in self-care when I need it most, as well as mindfulness and compassion that otherwise it was like all my tools would just go out the door in those moments of being scared. I mean, that piece, the dorsal vagal, it's really unfortunate that we weren't taught about that system. And like you said, just having that awareness and understanding of when it's happening, why it's happening, understanding like what is actually happening physiologically. But like you said, also the steps that you can take to get back, because it's not like you can just jump from dorsal vagal back to ventral vagal. You have to first like activate yourself and, you know, start to, and so that regulation process, learning how to self-regulate in those moments is so key. I had a similar experience to you. It was so funny. I had started the polyvagal theory book probably a month prior to this. So I had, I had finished it and my partner and I were in a car accident, not a bad one, but we hit a deer and I found myself fully in dorsal vagal. Like I was just paralyzed, even though like we were totally fine. We were both safe. The deer even ran, but like just the experience of all of it froze me and we got home but like during the whole drive I was just like I could not move (laughs) and I was like I know what's happening but I don't have words for it right now because it's like I knew but you just like you're so frozen and eventually I was like just hold me and then I was like I need to take a shower because I know that like water for me is regulating anyways it's just like right well, you said a lot of things just there that I think are important. You said, you, no, just you you brushed over them really quick, but you said, hold me. So you allowed mm-hmm. him to hold you in that moment. Okay, so don't talk, don't ask me questions, but hold me. Physical connection, co-reg, this, this whole theory is about us as humans needing each other to co-regulate. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean we need humans to say, what's wrong? How could I help you? Let me do this, this, and this. But going back to the human elements of touch, you said, hold me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful because- it's oftentimes the last thing we want when we're in that frozen state. Like sometimes I need Evan, my husband to hold me, but like my arms won't hug him back. They're just like, I don't think I was hugging back. I was literally just like, yeah, (laughs) a popsicle stick just there. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing you said is water. So let's talk about water. What does that do for you? It helps your body. It's kind of like generating. It helps you to be more soothed, but also energized. So like for that shift into the sympathetic space, and this is a new topic for me, so I don't have the most like crisp words that I want. We'll put put some expert resources below, but we just wanted to start the combo on this. (laughs) Um, But yeah, taking a shower is activating. Like 
other things that you can do, for instance, are like going for like a slow walk or things like that. But I was not ready for a walk. Like I needed something that was going to be stimulating to my system in a way that felt safe and like a small next step. And so that's what the shower is. It's like the next little step of like stimulation that helps you to start move out of moving out of that place of being frozen into that space of like the activated fight or flight mode. Because once you're there, then you can get back into the ventral, but you can't, you, you have to move through into that place where your body feels kind of activated again. And I love that just because sometimes our minds are stuck and then our bodies are stuck, but we could help our bodies move through it before our minds get there. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that's the power of, of if not partner touch, self-touch. I prefer self-touch most of the time as somebody who's alone all the time, but you know, resourceful is okay. My body doesn't feel safe. Like oftentimes I'm walking around my house and I feel like I've just brought in tension and I breathe and I put my arms around myself and like, I'm letting my body know that it can calm down and then that calms my mind. So mm-hmm. when people tell us to just relax, it's frustrating. It's not helpful oh, yeah. because it's so cognitive when our nervous systems are still threatened. So I think that you just brought up really good points. Let's let's wrap up here because we we talked so much about interesting things and we'll put information below for anybody who um, wants to learn more about that. But one thing that I think, you know, just to kind of sum that topic up is it's about our nervous systems being either regulated or dysregulated. And with a child, we can easily see when they're dysregulated, right? Like they're having a tantrum. And normally that's an indication that the child doesn't feel safe and their surroundings don't provide that. So we need to provide that for them in some way. And the question is, how can we apply that to ourselves in these moments when we too are dysregulated, when we Mm -hmm. pop off, when something happens? And how can we bring those kind of how we treat a toddler who's having a tantrum to our own environment, recognizing that our environment might seem perfectly safe, but our perception of it might not be for whatever reason. Yeah. And I just briefly want to bring this back to what we were talking about with disordered eating earlier, because we were mentioning, you know, this, this aspect of the inner work and, you know, eating disorders indicate that someone is lacking in methods of regulation. And so that is something that I just feel like I want to tie into the polyvagal theory because we use food to cope and comfort our discomfort. So when your nervous system is aroused with stress or you're scared or whatever, we're trying to regulate ourselves. And that's why we turn to these food methods of coping. And I mean, food is one of the first ways that we learn to regulate as humans. You know, when we learn to receive through food through our mom's breast milk, that, you know, that same pathway that we use for eating, um, the neurological system that supports us in eating is also the same that supports social engagement and helps us to bond and seek relationships for support. And so that those two things are tied from the beginning. And so this is why very often people with eating disorders can't be fully socially engaged. They can't be present because they're so caught up in whatever is happening in their nervous system at this subconscious level, or maybe conscious in that moment. But that's why it's like, okay, I need to think about, you know, like, what did I eat earlier? What am I going to eat later? Or what's in, you know, it's like we're, or what does my body look like? It's like, we're trying to regulate, to grasp at these things, to make us regulate when we don't have other tools and skills. And, you know, even the fight, flight, or freeze, I, you know, 
have been reading more about this um, just recently and like being in fight mode is more associated with like the purging and, and self-harm and being angry towards your body and things like that. And also with like, you know, flight can be associated with like anxiety or um, the obsessive thoughts and even binge eating and things like that, excessive exercise. And then the freeze is like that disconnect from your body and that depressed mood. And even sometimes binge eating can be more of a freeze thing if you're trying to kind of like hibernate and like sit in your shame. But basically I just, I want to bring this to the eating disorder space for anyone who's struggling with that, just to help you understand what might be happening. And just remind you that like, what, like we were saying earlier, you can't just focus at the thought level. Like CBT is amazing and not enough. We need to understand that there's, yes, eating disorders are a mental disorder and there's a lot happening at the level of the body. And so taking a somatic approach is really important to this whole picture. I'm so excited to see where your research takes you on that because I couldn't agree more. And it's definitely not where my headspace was like originally going with the theory, but you're a hundred percent right. It all comes down to our nervous system. We can't just stay cognitive. Cognitive is important, but we need to get into our bodies because they keep the score of everything. And they're always sensing like little antennas, you know, up about our, our safety. And it's just another way to mindfully get to know yourself and then support yourself in those really hard moments. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tara. You're such a light. We're going to put your info. We'll put some polyvagal research below too. Um, I think Stephen Porges is the mm -hmm. creator. Yeah, Stephen Porges and Deb Damer are the two that I like most. That's what I've seen too. So I'll put some resources there. And thank you for being the light that you are. We'll see you soon. Yes, thank you for creating the space. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. 
That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.